host, Annie Randall, and this is a safe space for real talk regarding all things Jesus, mental health, and of course, your relationship with food. Welcome back to the first season of Triad Warriors, where we are talking all about the Enneagram and how our personalities, amongst other factors, impact our relationships with food. With us today, we have another past client of mine, Shika Subramanian. I first met Shika back in architecture school way before I switched careers and got into nutritional therapy. Shika and I were not super close in college, but when I started my personal training and nutritional therapy business, Shika was one of the biggest supporters. I'm honestly so grateful for you and all the ways in which you have supported Annie Beth Company over the past five years, Shika, from group coaching to individual coaching. It has always been a joy getting to work with you. Anyhow, Shika is now a practicing architectural designer, and she just so happens to be an Enneagram type six, which is why she's on the episode today. Shika is a fitness fanatic and a bold leader. She is also an incredibly hard worker. If you know anything about the architecture industry, then that in itself says enough. Shika is passionate, enthusiastic, and extremely loyal. I'm excited for today's conversation and for everything that she wants to share with you all. Shika has come such a long way in her relationship with food, and I'm sure that she will have some helpful insights to share. But before we get into talking about the Enneagram and food, is there anything else you would like to say to the listeners, Shika? Sure. Um, you know, Annie and I go back quite a ways and, you know, it, she's been pretty vulnerable with you guys on this podcast as well as through her work. Um, you know, even though like we, we didn't talk too much in school, um, kind of reflecting back and as our friendship grew, like post-graduation, it's really interesting to kind of look back on that phase in your life and kind of connect the dots to your story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I have a little bit of a regret. I wish I reached out more and, and, or, and we started our bond a little bit sooner, but I think everything happens for a reason. And the reason you and I are like better friends today is purely because we had to grow into those people. Um, just knowing about your life back then and like what you've talked and what you've disclosed, you know, uh, I just want to say I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. And I'm really proud of how you've grown from who you were back then to the woman that is standing in my video screen right now. Um, you should be very proud of her. And uh, that wasn't directed at the listeners. That's directed at Annie, but that's what mm. I wanted to make sure she got her roses today. So. Oh, thank you so much. That seriously <laughs> no means so much to me. And I agree. Everything happens for a reason. I, to be fair, I put on a really good face when we were in architecture school. So, oh, girl, you were the model. Not expect <laughs> you to have known anything that was going on back then. So, but, real side tangent on that, you guys have to understand that Annie was the model student in architecture. <laughs> school it's you know it's there's no like tv show I can reference you guys to that describes what architecture school is like but you got to be on and you got to work hard and you got to be like super razor focused I'm just not that girl I'm I still (laughs) am not and I'm in the profession and Annie was wired she was regimented and the best way I could describe Annie like back then and she probably is still right now is disciplined and I remember looking at her and being like I wish I had that girl's focus (laughs) 
I, that thought came through my mind every time, like I encountered that with you and that's a hundred percent true. So oh. anyway, <laughs> you're <laughs> but, so kind. Thank you yeah, so much. It seriously so means so much to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really glad that we have gotten to grow in our friendship and know each other more since architecture school. Uh, like I said, I've really appreciated all of your support. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and get started now that we've spoken glowingly of each other. (laughs) As I previously mentioned, uh, Sheikah is an Enneagram type six. Enneagram type six are known by a multitude of names, including the loyalist, the guardian, and the skeptic. Enneagram type sixes are also described as responsible, anxious, and suspicious in their behaviors. The core desire of a six is to have security and or support, whereas the core fear is of being without support and or guidance. With that said, I'd like to give you a chance to describe your experience with living in this world as a type six, Shika. Let's not get into the relationship with food piece yet, but just how would you describe your overall experiences? So literally all the stuff you said, uh, just bold face it and underlining because it's all <laughs> um, the biggest thing that I really want to emphasize, honestly, is just the anxious part of it. And that's deep rooted in all of these other words that you use. We want to be the loyalist. And we with the skeptic, I think there's an underlying level of we're skeptics because we're perfectionist. Mm. And um, it's really interesting because uh, you go across the blogs and even when you Google this, you read the type six personality and you're kind of like, am I really this? And you'll see a lot of overlap, but the things that I really want to highlight is for me, um, myself living as a type six, I am incredibly an anxious overachiever would be the best way that I describe it. I need to be high performing. I need to be, um, there is a little level of perfectionism that's involved in that too. And uh, the skepticism level of it comes from I mean, like it's hard to describe because it's, I work in teams a lot and, um, I'm set in the rules of how things are supposed to be done, but then there are other people who are set in their own set of rules. And when those don't quite exactly jive, um, I end up being an anxious person and it makes me uncomfortable. I need order. I need, um, I, I need a plan and I need that plan to be stuck to through the entire thing. I need discipline, like I said earlier. And I, it's, it, it really causes me angst when I don't see that all the time. And yeah. so that that's type six in Sheikah's world in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. However, what I would like to emphasize is that I am so lucky to be in this generation that I am where we're so self-aware of our mental health and we choose to prioritize our mental health. Mm-hmm. So because I am very pro that I am very pro um, understanding my emotions and understanding how I think because I'm that way, I can stop the negative parts about being Mm -hmm. a type six. And um, I don't even want to call it negative. I can, I can, I can stop the less pleasant parts of being a type six and I can change my thought pattern and my thought work. Um, and again, I don't know if that has to do with any of the Enneagrams that has to do with purely me looking at my mind and being kind of, you know, I remember literally sitting there and being like, I don't, 
want to be an anxious person anymore. And I'm kind of reaching this journey. Like I've had this journey come and go, come and go throughout my life, but I'm, I'm, I'm in the thick of it right now, to be honest. Um, and that's the journey that we all go through, but, um, you know, I'll get through it. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. And that's such a powerful place for you to be right now where it's like, I don't want to be an anxious person anymore because being anxious is exhausting. It's overwhelming to constantly to be like wanting everything to be according to the plan, especially in the architecture industry. We know that things do, they never go according to plan. Plans are always changing something. (laughs) Let me tell you, like every day I start out my day by writing a to-do list and my to-do list at the end of the day is never done because I, my, my day deviates from the plan so much. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny. So this is another quality of type six is that uh, <laughs> my day will deviate. I'll do crap that is related to what I need to do, mm-hmm. but it's not the stuff that I wrote down. So when I look at my list at the end of the day, I'm like, I didn't do anything. I'm such oh. a lazy person, blah, blah, blah. And I beat myself up over it. Um, I'm trying this new thing of rather than at the end of the day, looking at what I didn't cross off writing all the things I did do. Mm. And then like, it kind of is really positive, but yeah, life is not meant to be planned yet. We're obsessed with time. Oh (laughs) yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good shift though, where instead of looking at the things that you didn't cross off, writing the things that you have done. And that's kind of what you've been talking about here is the self-awareness that you've been Mm -hmm. building and how that's made you into a healthier version of yourself. Like even the shift that you had, where you said, just as you were talking, like you said the negative parts of a six, and then you stopped yourself and you're like, ah, no, maybe I don't want to call it that. Like you're reframing these things and looking at yourself without judgment and more with like compassion and curiosity and that, yeah. And that mental health piece is huge, which something that was not promoted in architecture school at all. (laughs) Um, but like, (laughs) even I've seen you share some posts about, uh, I can't remember the name of the profile. I, I followed them even though I'm not in the architecture industry, but that's talking more about like there needs to be more mental health in that industry. And I was like, amen to that. Like, I agree. There would have been so many people who would have stayed in the industry. And I feel Mm -hmm. like we're missing out on so much talent on that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We miss you, Andy, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I miss aspects of it, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, but anyways, having that self-awareness is so important. And especially coming back to your experience of anxiety, like that's so hard to overcome just especially when your natural tendency is to go towards anxiety, like the type six is just an anxious type, having the fear of fear, essentially. And yeah, it just creates so much stress. And so I, that's really admirable of you to put in that work to create that self-awareness. Thank you. Yeah. Creates a lot of space for growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I know that you have also put a lot of work into your relationship with food, exercise in your body, and we'll get into talking all about how you've gotten there. But first I want you to explain uh, your relationship with food, say like three to five years ago. And in what ways have the characteristics of your personality type influenced that relationship with food? Oh, this is great. Cause now that you've reset this question, like, I feel like I have a better for it. So, 
Awesome. <laughs> um, my, I know this isn't three to five years ago. Maybe, no, I'm bad at math. Uh, That's a good. rounded number. It can yeah. be any, uh, any range. <laughs> the biggest probably moment of like self-awareness when it comes to my relationship with food probably reaches back in 2014. Hmm. And what happened was in 2014, um, I was at Oregon and uh, I was kind of like, I'm tired of being fat. And like, but so here's the thing. I wasn't fat in 2014. <laughs> um, I was never fat. I was beautiful. But um, what I mean by that is like pretty much growing up, I grew up with seven girl cousins and hmm. I am a first generation immigrant and uh, my culture puts a lot of uh, pressure on, mm, there's going to be a lot of people who disagree with this, but there is pressure on looks. Hmm. Um, there is, I mean, when you look at ancient Indian culture and like uh, some generations before us, they, because of a generational colonialism, I believe is the term for it, hmm. because we were colonized by the British both my countries, actually all three, if you count my American side, haha. But um, yep. because of that, uh, there are a lot of people in the previous generations of my family who believe in the Western standard of beauty. Now that's not saying that they wish that we were all blonde, no, but it is more desired to be fair-skinned. It is more desired to be thinner, mm-hmm. which is interesting because if you look at Bollywood actresses, they don't have cut abs, but they, they have, they're thin, but there is a little bit of thickness to it. But anyway, that's the body image part of it. So I've had body image issues my entire life. So in 2014, when I was living by myself, I was like, oh, I have free reign over dieting. I have free reign over what I can prepare for myself. I'm going to run four miles every day because uh, that's all I can muster. And this is, it's funny because Annie's over here training for marathons and stuff. And I'm over here trying to just get to downtown Eugene and back. Girl, four <laughs> miles for me now these days is rough. So <laughs> I feel <Yeah>. you. <laughs> what I'm trying to get at with that is like, I thought, okay, I'm going to run every day and I'm going to watch my diet and everything. So at the time I remember I was like 160 pounds or whatever, mm-hmm. not terrible. I would eat one sandwich in the morning and it had like two pieces of turkey on it, uh, one tablespoon of hummus, cucumber, arugula, and two pieces of wheat bread. And that would sustain me through the entire day. I wouldn't eat a lot. And that would be like my meal. And, uh, so I was doing that running the four miles. Um, and by the time I went home that winter break, I was 140 pounds and I felt so good about myself. I was running around and I was like, Oh, I'm so skinny. And I loved it. Even though I didn't feel like I was hundred percent there. So that winter break, I will never forget this. I was home and a couple of my relatives were home as well. And my mom at first was like celebrating, like me looking skinnier. And I couldn't tell that it was like, if it was just because she hadn't seen me in a while or whatever it may be. However, this relative came over to visit and she was visiting me and she looked at me. And this is a woman that also throughout my life, like, you know, kind of, I was always known as like the fatter cousin, like not always, but Mm -hmm. I did. I wasn't as thin as my other cousins and mm-hmm. my mom very much. So made me feel like, Oh, you can lose a couple pounds of it. But like, honestly, whose mom hasn't done that. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> very that common. So fast forward to 2014 and like, I'm home for winter break. My mom is sitting there with like this relative and she looks at me and she was like, you look sick. 
was all she said to me. She was like, you don't look healthy. Like she was like, you look sad and sick. And my mom was like, well, all she does is eat grass. And it was kind of rough because when I first came home that first week, she was like, oh, you're hella skinny. And then she, as soon as like her relative stepped in and said something a little otherwise, and keep in mind, this relative has called me and it like, she's definitely commented on my body before. Mm-hmm. Um, the minute she says that my mom changes her too. And that was when probably the moment where I realized that I was like, I'm never going to make these people happy. I'm never going to be good enough. So bringing it back to the question, um, I think there's this need in me from my type six and my high anxiety and like me wanting to be an overachiever to want to be good enough. Mm. And I never felt that way when it came to diets and food. So I would lose the 20 and then we end up doing the famous yo-yo dieting. So after that 40 pounds, when I came back to school, eventually I got a boyfriend and then, you know, me and my boyfriend, all we did was eat. So I'm slowly creeping back to 160. Mm. And then we keep going back and forth. And throughout that period, all throughout my life, I have been losing and gaining the same 10 pounds, same 10 pounds, same 10 Mm. pounds. It was always this idea that I was never going to hit this number that was going to make me good enough for everybody else. Mm, yeah, And that's the painful part of it. So um, can I get into the good parts now? Uh, yeah, to I want to respond to that a little bit though. Like that had to be such a crushing experience where it's you felt like you, yeah, you felt like you did so much hard work and maybe it wasn't the healthiest way of no. <laughs> doing that, <laughs> but you, you, you had put a lot of effort into this and it's always been praised to be thinner in your culture, having that right. like Westernized picture of beauty, which we've talked about how right. racism plays into diet culture and how much like the book right. we talked about fearing the black body by Sabrina's uh, strings, I think is her last name and how like those factors play a role. And it's like, okay, you have this picture that you like work towards. And then when you got there, you had this whiplash almost of experience with your mom. It's really weird because also that entire time, I thought it was a goal that I wanted. And Mm -hmm. then it's funny because in my head, I was running around, like I was amazing and everything. And then here comes my mom who said like, no, you look sick or whatever. And then it's so funny how, this is why environment is so important because it's so funny how other people's critical voices get internalized into your own inner critic. And if you think about it, a lot of people, their inner critic is already, forgive me for saying this, an asshole to them. So like, Mm -hmm. it's so hard for us to cheer for ourselves. And like, we're always the hardest critics on ourselves. Mm -hmm. Now, when you have somebody on the external that you have very high opinions of Mm -hmm. coming in and sort of validating the thoughts you already have in your head, like it's a dark place, y'all. It's it's terrible. Yeah. And it sucks. And like, here's the thing. I love my mom. I really do. Mm -hmm. But at the time in 2014, I didn't have the voice to be like, you can't speak to me like this or Hmm. Um, can we not talk about my body? Now I'm at a point where I just kind of spit it back to her. So like, yeah. which is fine. I mean, she hates it, but when she says something about my body, I, I have gotten to a point where I look at her and I'm like, what do you gain from telling me that? Mm-hmm. And then she calls me defensive and then we open a whole other can of worms. But mm-hmm. for me to get to that point where I can look at my mom and be like, what do you gain by telling me that my body looks shitty? Mm. 
yeah that's where like once I got it, it took me a very long time to get to that point that's how you set the boundary and I remember we talked about boundaries and you're like girl I'm from a brown family like that's not happening and I was like okay like I'm this is a time for you to educate me on it and so it's um interesting to be hearing how you've set that boundary and in what way that was immediately like in brown families Mm-hmm. and this is me generalizing but it could be a different situation it really just mm-hmm. depends on the parent and like where they grew up but they don't know they never knew that setting boundaries was a thing so when you set the boundary with your parent all of a sudden they go on the defense because they've never encountered that nor mm-hmm. have they known that they've had the option to do that with their parents as well mm-hmm. so the best thing you can do is just continue to like break the cycle mm-hmm. it's just it's so scary when you set up that first boundary. It is terrifying. I would imagine so, but, if it's, especially if it's not the norm. And yeah. there's all these like, you know, delicacies to it where it's like, it's, you have this respect and this honor for your mom. I mean, obviously what she said really impacted you because mm-hmm. you care so much about her. And so it's this situation where you're like, how do I approach this with, maintaining respect and maintaining the the culture yeah, that and you live it, in it's so sometimes it's a battle that you won't win I'm very lucky that I did win it and mm-hmm. my and honestly at that point I was in my very early 20s um I'm in my early 30s now 10 years later and my mm-hmm. mom is starting to like now kind of respect those ma- not respect but she more understands the Mm. need for them for me there's a level there there's a lot more work to do but there's a level of understanding there and that's what matters so yeah yeah. understanding that it's something that you need for your mental health like you said you weren't feeling like you could ever be good enough and at the beginning of the episode you talked about some perfectionist tendencies Mm -hmm. and to be have those perfectionistic tendencies and to never feel like you can get there that's really heartbreaking and that shatters your view of yourself. And that does increase the inner critic that you have in your mind. And isn't that the root of diet culture right there? It's that whole thing that like, I will be happier when I'm 140 pounds. Guess what? I hit 140 pounds. I was not happier. Like exactly. I was just hungry. (laughs) (laughs) I was not happy. I was hungry. That is the tagline. episode with a title that would be it. I wasn't happy I was hungry yeah <laughs> yes that's the perfect title for this episode yeah <laughs> but uh before we get into you said going into the positive sides because we know that you've come a long way in your relationship mm-hmm. with food this ties into the next question so I do want to touch on this real quick yeah. uh that food is a big part of your family and your culture and we've right. talked about this just you and I many of times, I always love learning more about the ways in which food does play a huge role in your life. And so my next question would be, what was food like in your family of origin? And what are some of your favorite food traditions? Oh, man. So like, we're a big old island family. Like I grew up with my so background for everybody. I'm South Indian and I'm Fijian. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the culture is different. The ethnic background is somewhat the same. I may have like messed up those terms, but basically, um, back when Britain had rule over India, they took, uh, some labor, Mm -hmm. honestly, slave labor 
They took labor from India with the promise that if you go to this island, you will be guaranteed land. Of course, no one got the land, and we all know that story. I don't need to get into it. But that is how Indians from India ended up on the island of Fiji. So my family is from, my mom's side of the family that I grew up with, I did not grow up with my dad's side of the family, which is from India. Mm-hmm. I grew up with the Fijian side. So their food is love. It is celebration. Mm-hmm. It is gathering. So every um, home gathering that we have, uh, there's always like a big old potluck. People bring food and it's a lot of like, it's funny because people think like, oh, Indian food, it's all vegetarian, it's great for you. The amount of ghee, you got, you keto lovers out there, the amount of ghee <laughs> that you guys put in like, uh, like the curry dishes, that's not right. That, that's too much. So like- I remember just, you ranting to me once about the ghee. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'll get to you guys about ghee and turmeric all the time. But <laughs> so like for us, it's, it's a love language. Uh, there are some certain- it's this whole idea of gathering and sense of family that comes around food. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's interesting because we had all of our moms talking about like our body and stuff like that. And uh, they'd be like, oh, you should eat healthier and blah, blah, blah. But then these are the same women that are cooking us these ghee heavy curries and then putting it on our laps. So it's weird. It was always like a, I I catch 22 double-edged sword, whatever you want to call it. it. Food was always like that growing up. Now, the way my relationship of food was, wasn't so much the culture. It was more of what I imitated around my family. So in my family, I grew up with like my, and when I say family, I'm leaving my extended family out of it. This is the immediate people in my mm-hmm. household. Um, I grew up with men and me and my mom. And so being involved with uh, all those people, what, one of the biggest, heaviest impacts for me was my brother. My brother is a big dude. He, uh, he weighed quite a few pounds and my mom, because she was one of six siblings, it was her job to cook for all these six siblings, plus the family, plus whoever my grandpa decided to bring home that day to their home in Fiji. So my mom always cooked as if we were starving children in the third world country. So we got a plethora of food all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think looking back on it when I was younger, I would look at how my brother ate and my brother ate a lot. And me being little, I'd be like, I can eat that much too. Mm -hmm. And I was also always told by my father, like, don't waste your food. So I always believed you had a clean plate. You had to clean the plate. So that That dang clean plate club. (laughs) Oh man. But like, it really hurt because like, I don't know if actually maybe hurts not the right word, but what it was is that like, I was trying, I was imitating my brother, someone that I respected and admired at the time. And like, I still respect and admire my brother, but uh, I wanted to eat like him between my mom doing that and just feeding us consistently and me not being able to waste food. I would eat all this food on my plate. And then I would get the whole, you need to lose some weight conversation. And it's like, well, stop feeding me so much and, or like stop me or allow me to like, quote unquote, waste my food, whatever it may be. So, uh, I don't think that's necessarily a culture thing, but that's definitely (laughs) a family thing that came about, uh, just me wanting to imitate those, those things ended up being where I'm at right now. Even now, like, I mean, I'm not eating like huge amounts because I have a better (laughs) relationship with food, but like, I know that like, had this conversation with my boyfriend yesterday 
he was sitting there and he was like, maybe you shouldn't have like six appetizers for dinner. And I was like, first of all, I ordered two. So don't (laughs) tell me that. And like, you know, but like, I, I think I was kind of surprised by that comment because of how triggered I was because it brought Mm. me back to those childhood days of like, I eat too much and bring all that about. Um, The other things that I wanted to touch on with culture and food is that it's so interesting because when I was younger, and I'm sure everybody has read about this on the internet because it's a, it's an experience that every brown girl goes through. Uh, I would bring my Indian food to school. I would open it. I would get called so many slurs. I would get called curry mouth, curry face, all that stuff. Um, people making fun of how yellow my nails got when I ate with my hands or whatever it may be uh, because of turmeric. And now I log on Instagram and all y'all are eating turmeric and realizing the benefits of it. All of you guys have yellow fingernails now. All of you guys have curry spelling tendencies or whatever. And all of a sudden it's normalized. Like that sucks. Food appropriation is real. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, I think like, I'm not saying that it's not across all cultures. And it's so interesting because it's such a fine line because food is something that is shared. Yeah. And people love sharing food. Like if you look at Ethiopian cuisine and Indian cuisine, it's very, very similar. Mm-hmm. But um, it sucks because it's only normalized when people who are not brown or people who are not immigrants are allowed to eat it. Yeah, when white people uh, start start. Yeah, when white, yeah, I wasn't little. I wasn't sure if I was allowed to say it, but when white people start, we can eating, go there. We gotta go yeah, to the real when place. White people start eating curry. All of a sudden, it's totally mm-hmm. normal, and that kind of stuff in terms of culture, it's like. At that point, you're stealing somebody's identity. Yeah. And that that, has to feel so triggering too, because you had this painful experience as a kid of being, you know, made fun of and told that your food and your culture is wrong. And then to have people now being like, oh, it's fine. Like, because we eat it. It's like, what the heck, where were you when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old. And And that really, really sucked. It, it sucked to see it. And then to see it be hidden behind like health benefits that killed me even more too. So like, it goes back to the whole key comment. Like you've got people who are like oil p- pulling with like coconut oil or mm-hmm. um, eating a spoonful of ghee every morning. And it's like, the only thing that's going to do for you is give you pimples. Like it's, <laughs> it's not, it's not, there's no magical thing to it. Yeah, there really yeah. isn't. And I just, I wish that it, it was people like appreciating more why Indian people eat like certain spices for inf- inflammatory reasons or whatever it may be. Yeah. I wish they gave the credit to Indian people and didn't just say like, oh, you should do this for all these health benefits and blah, blah, yeah. blah. Where is the credit going back to the cultures? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an account I share quite often. Uh, I think it's the nutrition tea or just nutrition tea on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And she talks about this all the time. I love about, her. I started following she, her because yeah, of you. she's yeah. so great, but she, I yeah. just shared a post about this, like about cultural appropriation and how it's just like, we, when we talk about health, well, first of all, what is healthy eating? Like mm-hmm. health can look different for every single person, but right. we've gotten what diet culture has done is taking American and European cuisine and calling mm-hmm. that health and everything else is excluded from that. And, yeah. and it's like in that way, it's a, 
it, that's a form of racism. Like because, it is racism. It's yeah. racism and it's appropriation at one point. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. then you take these foods and they put the label superfood on it. And yeah. that's just a marketing term, like superfoods, not a thing. Right. And they aren't giving you guys credit for the foods that you've been using for exactly. centuries. Right. And it almost, I wanted to bring this point up to, um, Pepper Thai, um, that's her Instagram handle, but it's Chrissy mm. Teigen's mom. Um, okay. She is part of a big campaign now to normalize MSG. Because yeah, I've she seen would that. Say, yeah. yeah, and it's huge. I 10 out of 10 recommend people looking it up where she talked about how it has been demonized because people didn't understand it and because people had an issue with Asian foods. Mm. And she was like, that's wrong. There are healthy ways to go about with MSG. And, mm-hmm. and she talked about like, you know, if it was a bigger problem, it wouldn't, she was like, you know, Asian cultures would be kind of lower in health, but they're not. They're some of the healthiest people around. Yeah. And uh, that it, it's a really interesting, I don't want to say take, but it's something that we never heard about when we were growing up. We were always told MSG, sodium, it's really bad for you. Yeah. And never any further than that. So that's yeah, I didn't even know what it was for the longest time right. until people started talking about like, here's what it actually is and why it's not bad for you. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's very interesting to see that. But like mm-hmm. I'm really glad that people are bringing to light that kind of information because yeah. I think yep. that it's, it's really so important. critical. And thankfully we're in a generation that does the research for themselves. So that's yeah. good. Yeah, definitely. It's such important information and important things for people to start becoming aware of, but going back to your own personal experience, there's so many conflicting messages that you received as a kid. It sounds like you have, you know, your mom making tons of food and you have to finish it all. And then the messages that you need to be thinner. And then the messages that your food is unhealthy from kids at school, but then that's what you're told to eat at home. And it's just, there's all of these conflicting messages of like, how do I eat? And how do I listen to my body? Mm -hmm. Because it's all these external factors that are determining how you should be eating rather than what Sheikah's body is saying she should be eating. Exactly. And like, even Sorry, we can go into your next question. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm sure we could talk forever too. So, yeah. but this kind of goes in line with some of the things we are talking about. But um, can you think of a time in your life when others were promoting a particular diet or pattern of eating? And did you feel as though you were being asked to embrace more than just a diet? So if yes, then explain that impact it had. So when you say embrace more than a diet, can you elaborate on that real quickly? Yeah, so, you know, it's like, okay, all of the things you've been talking about with culture and with food being love and the celebrated thing, it's like, that's a part of who you are. And so when somebody tells you, for example, I had a client once, he was from Mexico and he had worked with an old trainer who told him he wasn't, he shouldn't be eating Mexican food. And he's like, well, that's literally my identity. Like that's part of me. And so he's being asked to embrace a different identity essentially. Yeah. Okay. So I, I get that on a smaller level. Um, Mm -hmm. so in that, that period from 2014 to now, I mean, we had paleo, we had keto, we had intermittent fasting, we've had, you know, all of it, everything under the sun. And in that time period too. So like around like 2016, 2017, I started working with a trainer out in Portland and, um, he was a bodybuilder, uh, and he was great. He's one of my really good friends. Um, 
I did notice though, that when we started getting serious about me training and everything, the way he wanted me to eat was like a male bodybuilder, mm. which really was like, I didn't know any better. So I went along with it. But then it also came to a point where I was looking at the food that I was making. I was like, this looks so tasteless. It doesn't look fun. It doesn't look happy. And, um, that kind of stuff, like when I would look at it, it took the joy of food away, which really sucked because food should be an experience. It should be something that we all thoroughly like enjoy the experience of. And when we go into these diets, like you take away that joy, I'm sorry. Like no one wants to eat a cauliflower pizza. Just just give me just leave pizza as it is. Like, (laughs) like, I don't think, and it goes back to that meme where it's like cauliflower didn't ask for all this. Yeah. (laughs) Here we are. And you know what? And while we're on that tangent, chickpeas I don't think chickpeas asked for that either yeah (laughs) but um what I think I'm trying to get at is that like all of these diets took on the form of trying to adapt me to be a bodybuilder and not looking as food is a resource for you to live that makes sense yeah totally it's, it's it's a it's a weird thing to talk about so I didn't have it to a point where somebody was telling me like, no, that guy did tell me to stop eating some Indian foods. He told me to lay off the breads and stuff like that. But at the time I couldn't make the bread without my mom. So it didn't really matter, yeah. but it was my whole gripe with that. And I think I brought this to you as a client several times where it's just like, you're feeding me like a male yeah. and I get why you're doing it. You're trying to get me to reach my goals. Mm-hmm. And he did. But at the same time, I was kind of like, you know, not eating the right amount of fats. And, you know, maybe I don't, I wasn't very in tune with my health at the time. I was just focused on the way I looked Mm -hmm. and, um, maybe that attributed to some of my anxious tendencies. Maybe that contributed to my cortisol. Maybe that contributed to Mm -hmm. a lot of stressors because I had to eat a certain amount of fat or whatever it may be. And even at some point, I think Annie, I talked to you about it when I was macro counting at the time, Um, when I looked at it, like, uh, it felt like it was too much food and I couldn't handle it. Oh, but you won't get the gains. You won't lean out if you don't eat this much food, but I I couldn't ever find that balance. And it went back. The thing with dieting and foods and like taking on these fad diets is that that inner critic comes out when you can't nail the diet for a week. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden you hear, yeah. And all of a sudden, once again, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. Which is so painful to constantly be hearing. And then it makes you keep reverting back to those old habits, but yeah, going back to what you were talking about with the male trainer. Um, so many male trainers do this, they feed women, like, first of all, trainers who don't have a nutritional background should not be helping people in nutrition, but that's another thing, (laughs) but, um, they do that. They feed women like men and we have very different hormonal profile men like yeah. and an underfed body is an anxious body what you're talking about with your cortisol levels and with your anxiety like when we aren't eating enough we are going to be far more anxious can right. you know lead to hormonal imbalances depression anxiety all right. sorts of issues like we need right. food to live but also we want to enjoy food and you saying yeah. that the joy was taken out of it and 
that that excitement like you're just eating probably my assumption would be usually male bodybuilder it's uh broccoli and chicken and rice very oh not even the chicken so like I just thought about this point too there was a point where he told me to because I wasn't hitting my fat contact he told me to try um you know burgers and I'm a Hindu I'm not supposed to be eating cows oh and so like you know like (laughs) I don't think he meant anything by it and He was like, if you're open to it, you can try that. And it's kind of like, if you just took that extra level of Googling, you would know <laughs> that maybe that's probably not the best way for me to get my fat. That's you know? not a good so, recommendation. Yeah. So like, anyway, <laughs> there's that. And I'm pretty sure. So I can't, I can't eat beef. Muslims can't eat pork, but are we mm-hmm. not entitled to also try to gain these gains, quote unquote? Are we not allowed to want to reach these goals? And you're sitting here telling me I can't do it unless I eat a cow. Yeah, that's and really that, off that, base. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is pretty off base. But what I got out of that was like, oh, why don't you try to find something else for like red meat or iron? And sure enough, I did um, increase my iron intake mm-hmm. and I did see gains. So mm-hmm. he was on to something. But at the same time, it was like, maybe you shouldn't push certain things yeah. as much as you did. And just be kind of sensitive and aware of individuals' preferences and needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the same time, you have to advocate for yourself too. Like at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. your health and your nutrition is yours. So Mm -hmm. you have to grab that bull by the horns and do it for yourself. So yes. And I'm glad that you were able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So that all you're, you're leading into each of the questions really well. So (laughs) like the next question is, um, do you, or have you ever struggled to recognize and honor your body's needs when it comes to food? If yes, explain. Well, see, see 2014 story. Yeah, of course I uh, sat there and ignored my body. And even in architecture school, like we're so focused on our work um, we don't eat. And then there's this whole idea of like it being glorified that if you're on the verge of dying, you're doing great work. And <laughs> well, yeah, stop glorifying that. And corporate yeah. America does it too. Like forget yeah. about the architecture industry. This is just a corporate America it's thing. Everywhere. Like, yeah. If you're not respecting your body, if you skip your lunch breaks, you're more productive as a human and therefore you're a better worker, which is crap. So like, not true. Get rid yeah. of that narrative. So I mean, we were having yeah. mental breakdowns weekly in architecture school and yeah. that is not making you a productive human. <laughs> and you know how like that could have been fixed if we all just took time to like chew our meals. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so much easier that way. But like, um, I, I, it's just been a struggle this entire time. And I would, I would feel the repercussions of it later. But again, it goes back to like this whole idea of trying to please everybody trying to get the work done on time. Uh, It doesn't matter if I'm killing myself or I'm not properly feeling my body because at the end of the day, I need to get the work out or whatever it may be. Um, And even, so like that was in school, a little bit of my work life, uh, but like even even now when I try to like, like, or if I think about adopting a diet or whatever it may be, or eating healthier, like sometimes I ignore my body's signals. Like I have clear cut hunger signals and I'm like, mm, I just ate, I don't need to like, you know, grab an apple or whatever it may be. So, uh, I think it's something that if you've ever tried to diet, you've definitely struggled with it. Yeah. Um, the key to probably getting more self-aware about it is honestly, what I just said is being self-aware. It's yeah. learning yeah. to 
listen to those signals. It's learning to kind of set boundaries again with yourself, because I think it's so easy for us to use the whole, oh, I'm working or, oh, I have to study. Oh, I don't have time to eat. It's very easy for us to default on those answers instead of just respecting the actual symbol that your body is sending to you. Yeah. It's like, you have to make eating a priority. And then you also have to work on rebuilding the, that connection with your body, because like you said, diet, dieting is by default, ignoring your body's signals and you get used to that after a while. And then you are disconnected from your body. And there's a real, it's really hard to rebuild those connections and to trust yourself and to trust your body again. And so same thing with mental health too. Like you want to put your anxiety, your, the way your body releases that anxiety, whether it be through like crying or through shaking or whatever it may be, we choose to ignore that. Cause we're like, oh, we don't have the time. We have to meet this deadline. We have to meet this deadline. And eventually when I get to a place where I am leading my own team and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I really want to preach. You guys need to respect what your body is telling you. If your body is telling you to go home, go home that kind of stuff. So like great example is right now I have a major deadline coming up mm-hmm. literally on Friday. Mm. Okay. That's fine. Um, I have to work a pretty late day tomorrow. I was thinking about getting some of that work done tonight, but I feel tired, I'm exhausted. And like, I'm hungry. I kind of want to just enjoy like unwind and unplug. Mm-hmm. Maybe like when I was in the thick of that diet culture, I would just want to continue going. And that's exhausting. Yeah. And then you just overwork your body and it just becomes this vicious cycle of exhaustion and hunger and hangry yeah. and all of those emotions. And yeah, it and doesn't you make you productive. See yourself physically deplete at those yeah. points. Too. And yeah. I know that you've probably experienced that too when we were going through what we were going through in school. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But also if any future architects are listening to this, like, don't let us discourage you. Like you can change the pattern. I really want everybody to know yeah. that. The industry needs to change because there's so many great aspects about architecture. And there's so many things that, like I said, I do miss about it. I don't miss the intensity yeah. of it. It's not like but- that anymore. Yeah. yeah. But like you said, you can change the pattern. It sounds like you're starting that when you want to, when you become a team lead and encouraging people to listen to their bodies, because ultimately that does make us better workers. If we're well-fed, well-rested and do all that, we're going to perform better. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Cool. So what are the roles of comfort and stress in your eating patterns? And are there specific foods that are involved when you eat for comfort or stress? Oh my God, Annie, you know this, (laughs) but like, I love me a good greasy meal when I'm on a tight deadline and uh, my latest poison of choice. No, it's not poison. It's just food. It's just, it's just snacks. Uh, I love love me some McDonald's. I will Mm. grab a chicken nugget, fries, and a fish fillet or a spicy chicken and eat it. And what's interesting now is that me being who I am now, I would eat now instead of getting like, you know, a six piece nuggets, now I get a four piece nuggets because it's enough to like satisfy what I want. And I'm happy and content with that. Um, I'm also a really big like greasy pizza person. Whew, I will eat pizza all day, every day. And I love it. 
Um, You're like Adam. He loves pizza. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's grease for me for like stress and comfort. It's always mm-hmm. like a good greasy meal or it's a grilled cheese. Full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Like I can be cheesy, gooey, warm. That's like a big, like stress, comfort food reliever for me. Now, my issue that doesn't help my stress is that I end up eating really late at night. Mm-hmm. I eat at like 10 o'clock at night. And it's funny because we talk about like food doesn't have like a timeline. Food doesn't go to sleep at a certain time, yep. whatever it may be. Yep. That's true. But food, you know, sometimes triggers weird dreams and stuff like that. It can affect your sleep. And sometimes yep. when I'm too full, like I can't sleep. Totally get that. That's natural. That's your yep. body's time yep. or whatever. But for me, when I eat my meal at the end of the night, that means that I'm done for the day. Mm. I've shut off my laptop. I'm not studying for my exams anymore. I'm not working anymore. I've got my glass of wine. I've got my meal. I've got, you know, Real Housewives on TV. That is my unplug. So it used to be that I would eat something warm because I'm stressed out because I just need to like distract my body or like distract the anxiety Mm -hmm. or just you know, do something or like, I didn't eat the entire day. So I deserve this huge meal. That's eventually going to make me crash, whatever it may be. But now it's turned into this whole symbol of like, it's the end of my day. I can just truly be present with my food right now and eat it. And I don't care what's on the plate. I'm just happy that I'm done with work. I'm not looking at a screen anymore. Yeah. That's what it's turned into for me. Yeah. It's become this symbol and kind of part of a routine of unwinding for the day and being like, okay, I'm, I feel accomplished. I feel satisfied with my work and now I'm going to eat something that helps my body. It's a a ritual for the end of the day. That's what my nature is. And if that means that it's coming at 10 o'clock at night, unfortunately it's coming at 10 o'clock at night, but I try to make it that like, it's this huge thing for me. That's, that's what it's turned into. And that's not to say that I don't default and have like stressful food days. I do, but it hasn't been associated with like, Oh, I'm stressed out. So I'm going to get this. Or, um, I, I just haven't given it that negative connotation anymore where it's like, I'm super stressed out and I need immediate comfort. So I'm going to eat McDonald's. I'll be like, I'll literally just change the tone, but say the same exact words where it's like, I'm a little stressed, but I would make myself feel better with some McDonald's. And like, it's, it's just a mindset. It's a mindset shift for sure. It's that giving yourself unconditional permission to eat, which is something we talked about a lot rather than judging yourself for something. It's like, no, like food does release feel good chemicals, especially you're going for highly satiable foods, which makes sense in times of stress because we want those feel good chemicals and there's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. I think the point where I got to that too. And like, like full disclosure too, like I'm not eating like the healthiest, uh, like I, I have like manageable cholesterol levels. I found that out recently, but what I do try to do is I take the pressure off of it in that I now work out to say that I moved my body. I now work out to say that like, I did something fun or like my big thing right now is Barry's boot camp. I, that's the only time I work out. My boyfriend happens to work at 24 hour fitness. So if I feel angsty, I go run around there, but I'm usually in a group fitness class and I love it. It's so much fun. I have the best time doing it. Um, with that, I don't, I don't view like food as a treat or anything anymore because I know I'm like kind of, I'm, I'm using my body how I want to use it. 
Hmm. I guess that's so good. That honestly makes me so happy because that's a huge shift for you. A lot of our conversations, like we haven't talked in a while, at least not, not about your relationship with food. Um, but a lot of our conversations before were revolving around exercise and the use of exercise as a punishment or just being this highly stressful thing for you and to have the shift now to, I moved my body and it felt good. And I don't feel yeah. a need to like reward or punish. That's or amazing. I'm just doing it for fun. Yeah. Like literally yeah. I work out for fun now. That is and so it's good. Like, it's yeah. just like, I do it. And like the friends that I met through my group fitness classes are really cool people. Mm-hmm. And like, they got me waking up at 5.00 AM on my birthday to take a class all the way, like 30 minutes away from where I live. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't do it if my friends were not here. So I would be like, no, I'll take the afternoon class. It's fine. But it's, it's that it's the mindset shift. Um, I don't want to look at food ever again as like punishment or I can't eat that or I won't eat that. And you know, what's the really interesting thing about all of this is that I am naturally making better food choices. You know, just by like being like, (laughs) I don't care about rules. Like my mom and my dad asked me to make dinner Mm -hmm. on Monday uh, my dad gave me a recipe that he wanted and I was like, screw this. We're making chicken parm. So we made chicken parm, mm-hmm. you know, it was fried chicken and everything, but I had an entire tray of just green vegetables mm. that I baked and my family didn't ask for it, but I was yeah. like, we are eating broccoli and asparagus together. Everybody put this on your plate. I made that decision on my own. Mm. I wasn't yeah. like, Oh, I have to get something like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was just like broccoli, roasted broccoli. Sounds like it would look very pretty on this plate. Yeah. I did it. And I, I've never, I've never looked at vegetables as something I wanted. It was always something I had to do or I had to eat. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm eating McDonald's all the time, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to squeeze in vegetables with whichever meal I Mm want to eat. Yeah. That's so huge. And Mm -hmm. that's something we talked about too, is like, we have to make peace with the foods that we quote consider bad, but oftentimes Mm -hmm. we really need to make peace with the foods that we quote consider good because (laughs) it's like you said, you used to just force yourself to eat vegetables and you didn't enjoy them. And when people hear intuitive eating, they think, Oh, I'm just going to eat McDonald's and pizza and cookies and all these things every day. And that's Mm -hmm. all I'm going to ever want. But you're an example of yeah. You are, your body wants vegetables. Like our bodies wants those nutrients and you're yeah. able to listen to that now. Yeah. I eat so much fruit, so oh, much fruit, great. just because mm-hmm. I'm like, I want fresh fruit. And I love, I call my, so ever since working from home, I call it my, um, my adult charcuterie plate. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is like, sometimes I'll make a lunch out of like veggies where it's like mm-hmm. cut up bell pepper, celery, carrots, apple, and like a good chunk of cheese and some hummus. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 90% like back in the day, I would be like, Oh, I can't have this too much. How much? Oh, I can't have this much cheese or whatever. I'm slathering like cream cheese on my bell peppers and baking them. And they taste so good. But That's at the awesome. end of the day, I'm not looking at it as like, I added all this fat to my vegetables. I'm looking at it as I ate a vegetable. Yeah. That's awesome. And there's nothing wrong with making vegetables taste good. Like, no, there is that. That t- That's, That's amazing. Probably- favorite post of yours where you were like vegetables suck without oil please roast them yeah. <laughs> that's literally awesome. what makes it makes it taste better <laughs> you're like, who wants to do this and I was like yeah. I love this I yeah. nobody so, yeah. wants to eat plain celery it's water right. with hair like no so nobody wants did, that <laughs> all I've really done recently in the past couple of years and like you know I'm not gonna like pretend that I'm like at this great place like yeah I still look at myself and be like oh you're kind of tubby 
But at the same time, it's just come into this place. I mean, we went through a lot in the last few years. Everybody mm-hmm. went through a lot. And it's like people were losing their jobs. People have parents that were like, you know, they couldn't see. Uh, you know, my entire family is medical. So I was more concerned, like, crap, like, are my is my family gonna be okay? Mm-hmm. Why the hell were we caring about what we looked when there's like so much more going on in the world? It, it just there was this huge priority shift. And I think that was the point where I made this massive decision that I was like, I need to accept the fact that clothes don't fit me anymore. And my body changed. I'm not going to fit back into these clothes. That's cool. Let's redo the wardrobe. Yeah. It's that self-acceptance piece and being like clothes are supposed to fit your body, not your body fit the clothes Yeah, and allowing yourself to buy new clothes makes you feel better too. Cause you're not trying right. to squeeze into something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I haven't had the time to do it, but I've made this decision that I'm going to go through and clean my closet out to the bare bones. Everything's going to go. It's going to be, great. it's going to be like a closing sale. Everything must go. That's and so I'm just going to buy new stuff that I like and Mm -hmm. I love, and it's going to be minimal and it's going to be fantastic because it's all going to fit me the way I want to be fit. That's so good. I absolutely love that. And like you were saying, we all we're human. So it doesn't mean that we never experience discomfort in our bodies again. Like feeling discomfort is totally normal, Mm -hmm. but getting to this point where you're able to accept your body and you're not hanging on to clothes being like, Oh, one day I'm going to fit back into these because Mm -hmm. that just puts so much pressure on you to like squeeze your body into something it used to be or something that it's not now. And just being like, this is what I am now. I'm going to embrace it. And I am going to have a wardrobe that feels good. And I think it looks good. And it's wild to me too, because like, I look back at that 2014 time when I hit that 140 pounds or whatever. And, um, I look at that person that I was and I'm like, okay, you know, I was like, she was all right. Like she wasn't like over the moon or whatever. I was like, I definitely weigh way more than that number now. And it's funny because like back then I used to, when I was the 140, I used to think I was fat and it still wasn't enough, but now I'm here in this bigger body, which is fine. And I look back and I'm like, damn, like, I wish I could go back and tell her like, girl, chill, please, please eat some Cheetos. You'll be okay. Yeah. Um, Just so like, I knew that, but it's, it's, it's so wild because you, once you let go of that, that whole, like, I need to be this certain number or whatever, Mm -hmm. maybe your life changes so much. It does. Yeah. It frees up so much space in your Mm -hmm. mind and you're able to embrace so much more of life rather than just being like I'll enjoy life once I'm in this body size I don't want to live this gene size yeah I don't I don't want to do the when I'm this I'm happy and I'm actually approaching like my architecture license the same way where I'm like once I reach this test and I pass it I'm going to be in such a perfect place in my career that's not true yeah like it's gonna I can be choose to be happy in my career right now which is exactly uh the journey that I'm working on right now so I love that it's really Mm-hmm. that's such a big mindset shift which goes yeah. into our final question obviously you have done so much work on your relationship with food and your body I'm seriously especially hearing this now after it's been a while since we've worked together I'm yeah. so proud yeah. of how far you have continued to come since right. we've worked together like we just laid the groundwork and you have done so much hard work since then and I'm yeah. seriously so proud of that yeah. um yeah. yeah and so with that oh go ahead I was like, and that's not to say that I'm never going to look and be like, I've got this event coming up. I can lose five pounds or whatever. Right. I'm, 
I, I can still have those patterns. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I'm not going to do is kill myself over those patterns. That's yeah. the difference between where we were and where we yeah. are now. Is that yeah. like, I'm going to work towards a goal and celebrate the many victories. Maybe I'll yeah. lose one pound. That's still better than not losing anything. If that was my goal and my intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's letting go of that perfectionism because the same perfectionism that we take into dieting and diet culture, we take into trying to have the perfect healthy relationship with food, which isn't a thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's, it's stop looking for the answer there. It all comes from one. So yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you've talked about a lot of things already that have helped you to change really kind of, it comes down to that mindset shift. Um, but I'm sure there's so many other people who have experienced the same struggles as you. So what other behavior changes or tools have helped you improve your relationship with food that you haven't already talked about? Therapy does wonders for everyone. Yes. Go to therapy. I 10 out of 10 recommend <laughs> therapy. And yes. you have the means of getting therapy. There are so many apps that teach you about breathing. That mm-hmm. is absolutely 1000% worth it. Uh, that and journal shifting or like not shifting, sorry, scratch that. Um, writing in a journal mm-hmm. and this recent practice that I've started that has really like honestly prepared me to this moment right now. Mm. And I still have my falls and everything. Um, I have started speaking to myself as if I'm writing a love letter to myself. Mm. It sounds weird. Work with me here. No, it's not weird. I'm all for it. (laughs) So like in the middle of the night, if I wake up because of whatever anxiety is going on in my head, whatever it may be, instead of like panicking and like immediately going off of like my to-do list, like, oh, crap, I can't go back to sleep. And all this stuff is due today, blah, 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 all that stuff. Instead of that, I literally come in, in my head, put on a little phone operator voice or whatever you want to call it. It's like, Hey girl, you're awesome. You're so great. You are amazing. Oh my God. Like, I'm so proud of all the things you do. And like the most, and no matter how outlandish it is, if anything, if anything, you don't believe any of that stuff, you giggle at how ridiculous you sound. And it's that, that immediate like release of like giggliness. Mm -hmm. I I don't know if it's an endorphin or whatever, but like whatever it it releases, like you instantly like kind of feel better. And so like, once I started doing that at night and I started journaling, I mean, you can't see it, but on my laptop right now, I have so many, I am statements and Mm -hmm. every morning in my planner for work, I write down, I allow myself to win today, or I allow myself to be successful. And it feels silly. I would die if any of my coworkers saw that, but also at the same time, by using that word allow, it's changed so much for me. And just speaking kindly to myself, it's something that I work on all the time. When I'm in the middle of my panic attacks, I had one two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I was not speaking kindly to myself, but that was when I came up with this whole like, let's do the phone operator. <laughs> it's it's yeah. such a weird way to put it, but like, let's uh, write that love letter to ourselves. Yeah. And when I do that, like, either I fall back asleep quickly or I'm just in a better mood. That's so good. That's I so absolutely fun. love that. And Shika, you are glowing. Like this whole time, you're just it's like, light, whatever. <laughs> No, it just looks like you're just like doing well and loving life and having those 
positive affirmations really yeah. shifts our perspective on things. It's, it's coming with, with therapy. It's a lot of it is therapy, but a lot of it is also therapy can only get you so far. These apps can only get you so far. It's, I encourage everybody to ask yourself, are you allowing yourself to be happy? Are you allowing yourself to be successful? Are you in your own way? And if you ask yourself, are you allowing? And if you change that sentence to, I am allowing all of a sudden what's in your way, it opens up a whole bunch of stuff. So like I said, therapy gives you the tools to like understand what that stuff is and how to sort it out. Uh, but the work, I mean, you can't go to therapy and expect to fix yourself. You unless have to do the work. work yourself. Yeah. So invest in your brain, invest in your mental health. It all starts with mental health. Yes. Once you get the right perspective in your head, right. Whatever your goals are, career, food, mm-hmm. you know, general happiness, letting go of the, you know, letting go of saying I, I have anxiety too. I'm feeling anxious in this moment. Mm-hmm. All of those ways with how you speak to yourself affect your relationships but the most important relationship you're ever going to have in this world is the one with yourself you come into this world alone you meet people you love but you also die alone not not like but you know what I mean you end up in the ground by yourself like most of the time whatever that's really like spiritual but (laughs) what I mean by that is at the end of the day the last thoughts you hear in your head are going to be your own do you want them to be like something really hurtful and painful or do you want it to be something very kind and loving like that if people like approach their life like that and if if you just can't get there start by saying look at like a really good friend and if you if you're kind of one of those people and no friends which is fine you can you can not have friends think of your pet would you ever tell your pet like your garbage or like, like the way you speak to other people and your friends and your family or your pets or like, you know, whatever it may be, the way you speak to those people, would you, would you ever speak to them the way you speak to yourself? Yeah. That's, I, yeah. I think when we look at it that way, it changes a lot. So I have, I'm very lucky at work. I have a lot of people that I'm mentoring. Hmm. Maybe mentor is not the right word, but there's a lot of people that um, see me when they're getting trained. Mm-hmm. And we, I do check-ins with them because coming out of school and going to the workplace is very scary. Mm-hmm. So I was checking with them and I hear them like get critical of themselves because some of their managers are like saying mean things to them or like in their head, they're, they're creating the scenarios that don't work. Mm-hmm. I always stop and I'll be like, would you say that same thing that you just said about yourself to me? Mm-hmm. And when they, when they kind of stop and pause about that, they're like, dang, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Telling you guys, like, just change the way you speak to yourself. That's such a beautiful way to put all of that. Like, I honestly could not say that better myself. (laughs) Like, that was such a beautiful way to kind of wrap up this. Obviously, you're not wrapping up. It's a forever journey. But wrap up up until this point of your journey of self-awareness and self-acceptance and all of those things. But yeah, what we say to ourselves is so powerful. And it really determines how we interact with ourselves and with other people within this world and other things, food and body image and all of that exercise. And so, yeah, that is a great piece of advice to shift that conversation that people are having in their heads. Right. Right. Awesome. Well, like I said, that was a beautiful statement. Is there anything else you want to add to that question? (laughs) Um, 
I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper right now and it tastes delicious. And there's yes. nothing wrong with that. That is what love it. I like to end <laughs> on. Um, just go back, skip back 15 seconds and listen to what I said. At the end of the day, be kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. All I want for you guys. Yes. Yes. Great. Well, thank you so much. This has seriously been so helpful and I'm so happy that you were able to share your story and so many unique insights that I'm sure a lot of people will relate to. And yeah, I'm just so thankful for you and for your story. I do have one more quick question though. This is the question that I'm asking everyone at the end of the episode, uh, just because I think it's interesting to see what people say, but what is your favorite food? Ooh, I have so many. Um, <laughs> so I will take pizza all day and night. Um, but my favorite, favorite dish, and I, I immediately thought of this. Um, y'all, my mom makes the best goat meat curry. Goat as in, oh. I think they bear, but yeah, uh, goat, goat uh-huh. curry, like the Fijian way. That sounds so a good. big old bowl of warm rice and just spiced up to oblivion. Oh man. That, that is my favorite amazing. food is my mom's goat curry. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, yeah. There you go. You can't beat mama's <laughs> cooking. Either, no, you can't. So. And she's so good. And like my legit fear is that I'm not going to know how to make all her food, but people say that I can cook like her, but that, that, that's the meal. That's I the meal. Now. I need to go tell her. <laughs> Be like, mom, make me a uh, goat. Curry, yeah, please. we haven't had it in a while in the house. Now that I think about it, so, I, so I, now I, you got to go have it. Yeah, so now I got to I got to tell her to handle that. But okay, yeah, awesome. that's my, Yeah. Well, thanks again, Shika, and thank you so yeah. much to everyone who listened. I hope you all have a great day, afternoon, evening, whenever you're listening to this, and we'll mm-hmm. catch you on the next episode. Sure. Bye.